Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Welcome to Hope Church. I'm really glad you're here. I am. I'm glad. I, I, um, we, I, when we were praying before the service this morning, we were praying and we used this word consecrate. We were praying that God would consecrate this time. It's, a, it's just a fancy church word, which means to set something apart, to set it aside, to make it special. And I believe today is special and that some special things are going to happen that he intended for you to be here this morning. Um, so thank you for being here. We're, we're kicking off. Oh, if you were here last week, thank you for serving. We went out into the community. So if you came last week here, you didn't find us, did you? We weren't here. Uh, the building was empty, uh, and you, there was a sign that said, we're serving out in the community, and that's what we did. We, uh, Coastlands and Hope Church in uh, Scotts Valley and here in Soquel, we went out in the church or into the community, and we served at various locations. And it was really cool. The location that Amy and the kids and I were at was uh, Del Mar Elementary. We dug in the garden and, and worked and um, helped prepare their garden to, um, they're going to plant there, and they're going to feed uh, families that are in need. So. If you were a part of that, thanks for doing that. It was really cool. So this week, today, we begin a new series called Essentials. Uh, that's what that little graphic was announcing there. Is, uh, we're starting this series called Essentials. And, and what it's all about is, so if you've been here before, you've probably heard us say this. We say it a lot. We say, we want you to be able to come as you are. Because we have this, this value of inclusion. Come as you are. Don't feel like you have to make yourself better just to step through the door. Come as you are. But along with that is, is the idea that we want God to be able to come as he is as well, right? That's, that's only fair. And that means that for all of our attitude of inclusion, we, we have to grapple with the, the reality that there are certain kind of objective beliefs that, that are asked of followers of Jesus. And we're going to talk about five of those. So if you, if you looked on our website, if you've ever got, we, we have a website, did you know that? We do, yeah. Um, uh, if you ever looked on there, you saw that we have five, uh, we call them our core beliefs. These are our, our, our essentials. Uh, lots of churches have this. Um, we have five. I went to a church website recently, and they had 17. I thought, wow, that's pretty, that's wild. That's a lot. Uh, we, we do it pretty simple. We're kind of the in-and-out burger of churches. Uh, we, got, we got basically just five. There's five things. Um, and there's no secret menu either. There's no, like, there's no animal style. Um, we're going to explore these five things over the next few weeks, all right? Now, if you were listening, you probably heard me just use a word. Uh, I said objective, right? Objective. So I want to speak to that just for a second because uh, we live... Now, there's been times in history, in human history, and we live in one of those right now where, where um, subjectivity or relativism has become more popular. That is, uh, have you heard someone say something like this recently? Like, they've said, um, I want to speak my truth, right? As if there's some personal ownership over truth. The reality is truth exists whether you do or not. It will be here, it's been here long before you got here and it will be here long after. Um, real objective truth is part of the belief structure of Jesus' followers, that there are real things, and by objective I mean the real concrete things that you can, um, that, that exist in the world. It's not just subjective. Let me give you an example of this. So, objective versus subjective. So, I I, um, if you know me at all, if you know me well, you know that I, I despise mayonnaise. 
I mean, on a molecular level, I abhor mayonnaise. I, I cannot, it's not just eating, I can't, I can't eat it, surely. I don't even like it to touch my skin. So I, I've, I've gone and ordered a deli sandwich before, and of course I say, no mayonnaise. And I've received a sandwich before where the, the, the person making the sandwich, I check, of course, I always check, because there's doubters, there's doubters out there, you guys. They think they, did, they didn't hear me right. I say, no mayonnaise, they put it on anyway. I check the sandwich, and even sometimes when there's no mayonnaise on the bread, I look, and the person that cut the sandwich used a knife that they cut the previous sandwich that had mayonnaise on it. And I, with my eyes, I see the glistening gleam on the top of the bread, and I throw that sandwich into the trash because I cannot eat. That's how I feel about mayonnaise. Now, I recognize that some of you might feel differently, right? Some of you might feel differently about that. Or you might not feel anything at all, which is strange to me, but you might feel differently. So we can have subjective disagreement, right? This is a subjective. I feel this way, you feel that way, it's subjective. But, but the presence of subjective disagreement doesn't, it doesn't alter the integrity of fundamental truths. Like for instance, we can disagree about mayonnaise, but agree that human beings need to eat to survive, right? I live in a home with someone that likes to put mayonnaise on her sandwich. I'm not gonna name any names, but like we get along pretty good, okay? So you can get along with people with whom you subjectively disagree. Are, are you hearing me, all right? So, so there's subjectivity and then there's, but there are some objectively true things and we're gonna talk about some of those, okay? All right? I was just softening you up so that I can hit you with the hard stuff here, all right? So, uh, so, the series is called Essentials. This is the first one. You ready? Are you ready for the first one? This is the essential that we're going to talk about today. Our essential belief that the Bible is the inspired word of God. The Bible is the inspired word of God. Now, there have been a few moments throughout history where this, this has been a controversial thing to say. Not, not all of them. In fact, not most of them. But, but right now, we live in one of those moments where it is a controversial thing to say that the Bible is inspired. Uh, it has been for some years now. Um, there are, uh, with the birth of modernism, there's this idea that, uh, that ancient things belong in the past, that they, don't, um, that they shouldn't uh, hold power or sway over modern people. There's many people that want to, th they would seek to categorize these ancient texts as belonging exclusively to the past, kind of a, just a historical curiosity, you know, in the cultural evolution of human beings, but that's, that's not what Christians believe. And in fact, in the 1970s, in response to that, that idea, uh, in Christianity, some began to refer to the, God, to the Bible as being, uh, they started talking about it as if, uh, with these kind of words, um, infallible or inerrant. These are English words that just mean incapable of being wrong, right? Now, I, I don't tend to gravitate to those, towards those words myself because I feel like they sound like a, they sound like a fight, you know? Incapable of being wrong, have, you know? I, we all have that, like, friend or uncle that posts stuff on Facebook, and he's, you know, in his head, he's like, incapable of being wrong, right? Because if you, you disagree, it, it just leads to a fight. I prefer to say inspired because inspired sounds like a welcome. Inspired speaks to the, the beauty of the mechanics of the partnership because here's the reality. It, just in case you're under the impression that we think that God wrote the Bible, that, that a hand, an invisible hand, came down from space. This is not what Christians believe, by the way. If you're here for the first time, you're thinking, 
do Christians think this? No, we don't think this. The, the, the invisible hand came down and kind of crafted the Bible on sheepskin or something. Um, no, no, people, people wrote the Bible. People wrote the Bible, but they were inspired by God, is what we believe. Written by people and inspired by God. Kind of a divine partnership, if you will. So here are the real questions, I think, that people want to ask. When we, when we say that the Bible is inspired, here's what people really want to know. They really want to know, can we trust it, and is it relevant? I have some, you know, you may or may not know this about me, I have some pretty good man skills. I got some good man skills. I can, I can light a fire from almost anything. Like, like, give me some bare essential. I can light a fire. I don't need matches. I can light a fire. I learned this in the Boy Scouts. I'm pretty good at it. That's a good man skill. That's a good skill as a man to have. It is. I can, I can sharpen a blade. I can put a, an edge on a blade. Pretty good. I'm pretty good at it. My dad taught me that. I can use most power tools. Most of them. I've, I, and the ones I don't know how to use, I just ask Curtis to help me. Um, um, I know how to apologize to a woman sincerely. That's a good man skill. That one comes in handy. More than the fire building thing, by the way. I, I use it more often, surprisingly. Another man skill is uh, cars, vehicles. This is not one that I have. I don't know any. If you told me that there's a small rodent running on a wheel inside my engine, I'd say, okay. That could be true. I don't, I, I, I don't know anything about cars. Mine has four tires. I know that. Uh, I have to feed it gas once in a while. That's, a, that's a the extent of my knowledge. Because here's the thing. Here's why I don't care to learn. I don't care. That's the reality. I don't care. Because if there's something wrong with it, if it makes a funny noise or just stops turning on, I can take it to an expert, a guy who knows stuff. I know a guy, like right up the street. I know him. And I, I trust him. And I take it to him, and he does his thing, and he gives, I pay him some monies, <laughs> and it's done. I don't have to learn those, those skills. I think for, the problem is a lot of Christians treat the scriptures this way. You know, we, we kind of figure, this is, this is too complicated for me, so I'll just depend on some, uh, some educated men or women to tell me about this whenever I have a problem. If I have a problem, I'll, I'll ask someone that knows about this, but the rest of the time I, I just kind of stay out of it. Are you hearing me? Does that sound familiar at all? That's a problem, and, and it's, it's been a problem for a long time. In fact, you know, there was a period of time in human history called the Dark Ages. We don't call it the Dark Ages because it wasn't well lit. Uh, we call it the Dark Ages because there was an intellectual darkness over humanity, particularly in Europe where, where educated men took these scriptures and withheld them from people uh, through the vehicle of lack of education. And they only translated in, into a language that nobody else read or spoke. And they withheld them. And that's why we call them the Dark Ages. But now, you can, I mean, you can crack open uh, any electronic device. You can find, the Bible is so prolific, you can find it anywhere. Anyone can read it. And the irony is hardly anyone does. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Um, but if you truly believe that this book was inspired by God, wouldn't you want to know it? Wouldn't you want to explore it? understand it and pursue it. So we're going we're gonna to read a passage of scripture today. So we're going to do a couple things kind of different. We're, I, I'm in, I've invited my, my cousin Bobby. Grassi is here today. Uh, he's a pastor from uh, Goleta uh, Restoration Church in Goleta, California. That's, uh, that's near Santa Barbara, if you haven't heard of Goleta. 
And uh, he's going to come up. In fact, Bobby, go ahead and come up. We're going we're gonna, to, he's going to read to you a passage of scripture. This is Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 through 13. Now, we'll have it on the screen, of course. Um, and you can follow along if you like. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This is a little different. Ready? I'm going to ask us to stand. Okay, we're going to stand. So this is actually an ancient tradition. This is longer, than, older than 2,000 years, where God followers have been standing in the presence of the reading of Scripture. And I thought it would be appropriate today to do this as we read from the book of Isaiah. Okay, are you ready? All right. Isaiah 55, starting in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes, goes from my mouth. I will not re, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow ju the juniper. Instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. For this will be the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Amen. Amen. All right. You guys can have a seat. Isn't that a beautiful passage of Scripture? That's um, one of the most uh, prolific prophet poets of the Old Testament. Um, one of the great works of literature of the ancient world is Isaiah. And listen, listen how that stand, when Bobby, the first words that Bobby read there were, seek the Lord while he may be found. That's, that has some urgency to it, doesn't it? Like there's a time when you can do it, and it, the implication is there's a time where you won't be able to do it. Um, while he may be found is kind of an interesting turn of phrase when we're talking about a God whom we believe is omnipresent, right? We believe He's everywhere, in all places and all times at the same time. Um, why would we not be able to find him? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Well, it might not be that he's not there so much as our ability to perceive him, our avenue, our, our connection to him might only be here for a while. It might only be available to us. So there's an urgency to it, right? Do it, and do it soon is what he's saying, right? And, he talks, and Isaiah talks about the idea, he's, he's speaking in God's voice here. He's, this is what God is saying, that, that his thoughts are not our thoughts. They're different. And of course they are. He's a, a perfect being, and, and we're not. I'm not, anyway. Um, and his thoughts are above. They, they come from heaven. We're here. So he's, he's speaking to his otherness, his, his remarkable, um, distinct, and holy presence and quality. And the prophet is telling us that there's, there's a God, and he's good, and therefore he sent his word into the world to transform us, right? That's why he did it. He wants us to know us. Right? He wants us to know him, and in knowing him, we're transformed by him. And the outward sign of this transformation is that we'll flourish, 
the, the prophet uses these terms like, like we'll go out in joy and there will be peace and mountains and hills will sing. This sounds good, right? This is good stuff. This is flourishing, right? And, and good stuff, the thorn bush will shrink and instead there's juniper. I guess juniper is a good thing. That's good stuff, right? Good things are happening. It's a sign that we're being changed. There's an outward flourishing. And this sign, it says, will last forever and it will tell others about how good he is. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Kind of closes the circuit on his goodness. So here's the question. How, how would, if, if there's a God and he's good and he wants us to know him, then how would he accomplish this? Well, you might say he could communicate through a story because that's what he does. He communicates through a story. And this isn't, this isn't unique. In fact, human beings have been communicating and passing truth through story for a really long time, long before we were able to even write it down. Some of the, the most ancient cultures on the planet uh, carry stories within their tradition uh, that pass information from one generation to another. Uh, you hear this in uh, fairy tales. You know, when I was growing up, we had a book of Grimm's fairy tales. Grim is a last name, but boy, they were also grim. I mean, it's like children going into the woods and like being eaten by witches and stuff. You know, it's awful. But they were passing, this is the way in the, you know, Middle Ages, they were passing these important truths like, kids, don't go in the woods. People might eat you. That's, you know, it's important. So, you know, we've been passing truth through story for a very, very long time. And so God uses this same vehicle. The thing is, many of us, you know, we go to this book, this Bible, and we pick it up and we look at it, and there's, there's numbers. Some of them have maps in the back, you know. There's all these references, and, and we, we experience it physically like it's, a, like it's a dictionary or something, you know. Like it's, um, like it's a textbook. You know? or, or others, you know, maybe the, their experience with the scriptures is they just see the little verse of the day pop up, you know, or that they, they might see a a meme on Facebook that has a verse on it. Have you seen this, where people post and repost memes with verses? That's nice, isn't it? That's nice, you know? It's nice. But if that's your only experience, you just kind of think of the Bible as like a Rolodex full of nice, pithy sayings, right? Right? Instead, I want to propose the idea that this, these books of Scripture are actually one continuous story, and the story is about Jesus, right? I want to unpack this for you a little bit. So, so did you know that this is actually not a book? This is not a book. It's not a book. The word Bible is a Greek word. Uh, it comes from a Greek word, biblios, which means books, plural. So it's not a book. It's books. It's 66, in fact, books. And only in the last 600 years of the 3,500 years that there have been scripture, only in the last 600 years have they been bound together under one cover. Before that, it was always the books of scripture or the scrolls of scripture. Um, there's 39 books in the Old Testament, okay, that's in the first part, and then there's 27 books in the New Testament um, that carries the story and the teachings of Jesus. It's written by over 40 authors. Did you know that? Over 40 people contributed to these books, these works of literature. I might point out that none of them benefited from the writing of them. This is very different than all of the great world's religions, and some of the not-so-great ones, is that these authors did not benefit through wealth or power or prestige. In fact, some of them, it was to their detriment, right? They died for having done it. 
It was written in three different languages, Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. I realize right now I'm sounding kind of nerdy, but I, I got to get through this. I'm really excited about this. So this part I just got to share with you, and I'm just going to sound a little nerdy, and we're going to have to just be okay with it, all right? That's, okay. The, the authors of these books came from six distinct cultures. You know, a lot of us tend to think of this as kind of like a Jewish work, right? And, and yes, there's a lot of uh, Jewish literature in here, Hebrew writings, but, but not all of them are. I mean, Job, for, uh, uh, for example, is the oldest work of literature uh, by kind of a lot, and it contains no Hebrew uh, characters at all. Um, it was written over the course of 1,500 years. That's how long it took to write from, from possibly Job all the way to the last book of uh, the New Testament. It took 1,500 years to write these scriptures. And it's supported by thousands of manuscripts. So one of the things you'll hear a lot is, you know, you'll hear, well, the Bible is a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. And um, in some historical literature, you might only have three copies or 12 copies or eight copies or a hundred copies, like Homer's Odyssey, for example. You know, there's, there's something like 70 original, you know, uh, copies of copies. There's over 5,800 just Greek manuscripts alone of the Bible. It's well supported and well documented. Um, and th these original texts have survived the rise and fall of four empires. It's been, it's been attempted many times to wipe it out. I mean, when the Muslims built, uh, burnt the, li uh, the libraries at Constantinople in uh, uh, was it, was it 1500 AD, I think, um, they, they attempted to wipe out all of the, the scriptures that were there, um, and, and they didn't. It survived. I mean, uh, Hitler and, and um, uh, the communists, the, the uh, Pol Pot, I mean, they, they you know, burned scriptures um, as part of their political process. And, and couldn't wipe it out. It survived all of this time, and, it's, and it survived so it could arrive here and be read by you and me. That's a miracle. So when we ask these two questions, I said there's two questions that are important, right? Um, can I trust it, and is it relevant to me, right? So let's answer the first question. Can we trust it? Can we trust it? Here's what it says in Psalms. Chapter 33, verse 4, David wrote this psalm. He said, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all that he does. That's quite a claim, that this word is right and true, and God is faithful. Are, are you faithful in all that you do? Can you say that? I can't. I wish I could. Um, is all the things that you've ever written down, are all of those things right and true? Probably not. But God's claim is that everything that he has inspired is right and true. So when we consider the trustworthiness of someone or something, what, what's a good way of considering that? Well, you might sit down and talk with a person if you wanted to find out if they were trustworthy. Look them face to face and ask them questions. Hear their story, right? And get to know them. You can do that with scripture. Did you know that? You can take a book of the Bible and you can ask it. Who wrote this? When was it written? What is the context in which it was written to? What is the purpose of this literary work? And you can see the inspiration begin to come out. In, in Psalms 119, David wrote, Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I think there's a myth um, in many Christian circles that 
I've heard people talk about it, and, and you, you come to realize that they feel like, I'm not smart enough to read this, so I'll just listen to others talk about it. I'm a pretty simple guy. I am. And I love reading the Bible because it, it brings understanding to my simple brain. It brings light where there would otherwise be darkness. I can attest to that. That's my testimony. I think the Bible has a bunch of great reasons to trust it. I'm just going to give you four, okay? I'm just going to give you four. There's probably lots more that way smarter people than me have thought of, but I'm just going to give you these four, okay? The first one is I'm, I'm amazed by the continuity of its message. I'm kind of a comic book guy. I read a lot of comics in my day. I still do. And continuity is really important to comic book nerds, you know, especially in the Marvel universe. You know, it's like uh, if something happens and it doesn't, you know, it contradicts something that came before, all the comic book nerds go, no, no, that you're breaking continuity. You can't do that, you know. Uh, the first time that Captain America fought Red Skull, this is what happened, not that, you know. Continuity is important. And, you know, comic books have only been around since, you know, the, the 30s, right? Scripture has been around 3,500 years, and the continuity is breathtaking. There's no, there's no contradiction. You read from Genesis to Revelation, and the message, the story is the same. It just builds and builds. I mean, we, we read from Isaiah, right, this prophet. He was, did Isaiah ever meet Jesus? No. He came a long time before, but he wrote about him. It's incredible. He wrote true things that took place long after he died. The continuity of its message is breathtaking. Luke wrote this in his gospel in chapter 24. He said, um, he, he wrote down these words of Jesus. Jesus said to his friends, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Jesus fulfilled hundreds of prophecies in his life and his death and his birth that were written about him. In some cases, thousands of years before he came along. The continuity of his message is breathtaking. That is an excellent reason to trust the scriptures. Here's another one. The survival of the text. I shared this earlier. There are, there are books that are lost to us in history. There are letters and documents that we, we have knowledge of, but we can't read them because they're gone, because it's so hard to preserve things. Now, I mean, we live in a digital age. By the way, like, if you say something online, it will be there forever, <laughs> right? So fair warning. Think about what you say, because it's going to be there forever. This is a brand new reality that we live in, though. For all of the other years of human history, it was very difficult to keep information and pass it down. That's why people use story. As paper dissolves and documents fall apart and they're burned and lost and stolen and destroyed. The, the, the fact that we have these documents is nothing short of miraculous when you trace their history. The survival of the text is an excellent reason to trust the scriptures. A third one is the integrity of its authorship. I'm blown away when I read these stories, when I crack open the stories from the Gospels. I mean, when Matthew writes about himself, and he doesn't shrink back from the fact that he was a, a cheat and a tax collector robbing from his own people, that takes a kind of integrity that most of us will never have to put on display, right? They didn't puff themselves up. When you read the story of David and his failures, 
when you read about the dysfunction of the family of Abraham, these are things that people could have altered if they wanted to make themselves look better, and they didn't. The integrity of its authorship is, is incredible. Paul, I think, was writing about this when he wrote to uh, his, his, uh, his friend Timothy. In 2 Timothy, he writes, All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He knew it had transcendent value, and that's my fourth, my fourth uh, reason to trust it. It's, it's, the content is transcendent. Are the words in these books beautiful and enjoyable to read? They are. They are. Alfred Lord Tennyson said the book of Job was the greatest single poetic work in human history. I don't know if he was a believer or not. He just enjoyed reading it. This is good. It is good. But it's better than just good. It brings life. It's transcendent. It does something to you if you allow it. I think Jesus was speaking to this when Matthew recorded his words in chapter 4 when he said, he said, it is written that man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. I, in following Jesus, here's what I've discovered. I need more than just food. I need more than what this life has to offer me in order to do it. Following Jesus is impossible. That's why we have this, to lead us and to guide us. We have his words, right? So I gave you four reasons to trust the scriptures. Asking if we're trusting these things are, are really what we're asking is, should we trust Jesus? And I think, you know, I could give you, a, not just four reasons, I could give you a hundred reasons to trust the scriptures, but, but these are just arguments. And very few people are ever persuaded with even really good arguments. That's kind of discouraging for me because I like to argue a lot. <laughs> it is. It's, uh, but the reality is you can, you can pose the very best argument and it's often not the thing that persuades people. What persuades people is relationship. It's the work. Now, um, Amy and I have been married for, I mean, a long time, close to, we're going on 20 years here soon. Um, and uh, she, she trusted me from day one. She did. But her trust for me is different on, you know, in going into year 20 than it was day one, right? And what happened in between there? relationship, right? So she, she believed me to be faithful. She now knows that I'm faithful, right? You see the difference? And, and, and what had to take place? Time and work? You know, at, at first I told her in, in my vows that I would be faithful. Like on day one, I said it. It's something we all say, you know, on the wedding day, right? I'll be faithful. Um, I was at Aubrey and Steve's wedding just recently, and they, they made some vows like that, right? Really cool. And I know you meant them. I can see it in your faces. You meant those things that you said. And you believe them. But then you come to know them through time. Because it's not just things that you say. It's things that you do. I, you know, Steve, you're going to take out the garbage. Every day, you're going to do it, you know? You're going to make the bed. <laughs> you're going to go to work. You're not going to just say, I'm not going to go to work today. I'm taking a me day because I just can't handle life anymore. You're going to put your pants on. You're going to go. And these faithful acts build into something, right? And here's the thing. People, they, they're often so intimidated to begin the journey that they just don't. They just don't. 
And so they might believe, but, but belief without relationship is so fragile. You need the relationship. You need to explore the text to read and understand and know God in that way. We talked about what were the two questions. Can we trust it? Is it relevant, right? You can trust something. You can believe it without it being relevant to you. <clears throat> Amy and I had this really cool vintage keyboard for a long time. It was all analog and vibey and just cool. It was like red and black with leather. And we bought it at a secondhand store. And it just sounded really cool. One day I was kind of messing with it because one of the keys didn't work. And I flipped the top open. And I found this detailed electrical schematic inside. I mean, I, it was like, wow, this is incredible. It was made, you know, whoever made it had put the, the schematics on the inside. And I, I was taking a look at them. And I go, wow, this is amazing. I don't understand this at all. <laughs> you know, all these like codes and details and wiring uh, paths and stuff. And, and I, but I trusted it. I trusted that whoever built this knew what they were talking about. But it had no relevance to me at all. Right? It didn't apply. So a thing can be trustworthy, but not necessarily relevant. So in asking, is this relevant, what we're asking is, does it speak to me right now? And I want to assure you, as someone that spent time with these books, they speak about the human condition. They don't just speak of ancient things. They don't just speak from an ancient place. They speak to us down through the years about the human condition about the nature of God. These are extremely relevant. And ultimately, what they do is they paint a picture. Have you ever, uh, have you ever seen one of those uh, pieces of art that it's made up of pictures, right? Like if you look closely, it's a bunch of photos of things. It might be whatever, just things. But when all put together, it creates kind of an image, a collage, a, what's the word for that? Mosaic, right? So the Bible is. It's a mosaic. And if you stand back far enough and you get the right perspective, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. From cover to cover, it's Jesus. And the story of Jesus, we learn about these important things, like our origin. Where, where do we come from? How do we get here? Why are things messed up? And we get meaning. Knowing his story helps me find... It. So Jesus has a story, right? It's the story of the universe. It's his story. But you play a role in it. It's not a big part, but you play a part, and I do too, right? If you want to know what your part is in the story, look to the story of Jesus. And we learn about morality. We learn that there's a better way to treat one another, to behave and to be human beings. And we learn about destiny. Now, I, I'm always a little cautious about using the word destiny. I don't believe it in, in it in the classic sense, but I, but I do believe that, that we have a hope and a future, and in that way, we have a destiny that Jesus shows us that we have a hope and a future. No matter how bad the choices are that you've made or that I've made, no matter how bad the choices are that others have made that have affected us, right? Because that's what life is full of. It's our choices and other choices. These things affect us. No matter how bad that is, we have a hope and we have a future in Jesus. And we learn that from these books. No matter how bad we've been affected by our choices or other choices, we will overcome because he will overcome through us. He conquered death. He punched death in the face and won. So surely, if he's living in you, you can overcome whatever it is you have to face today, right? Right? 
I'm going to end by reading a piece of, of scripture. <laughs> Why not, right? Um, this is from Hebrews. Now, Hebrews is a book that, uh, for me at least, has anyone read the book of Hebrews here or read parts of it? Yeah, a little bit. Some dabblers? Okay. Um, some dabblers. Here's the thing. Uh, nobody knows who wrote Hebrews. There's a lot of speculation. Could be a man, could be a woman. Um, nobody knows who wrote it. For me, the book of Hebrews, is it's kind of like, you ever have one of these friends where you're just as likely to get in a fist fight with them as you are to like just pour out your heart and like stay up till two in the morning talking about life? Hebrews is like that for me. It's very, it's like a fist fight and a hug all like wrapped up in one. It's, it's, it's confounding and um, 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 convicting and uh, challenging, hard to read, and like I can't not read it. It's all of those things. So this is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. This is, this is what the author, whoever he or she may be, writes in Hebrews. They say this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. What are they talking about? The scriptures, right? That's, he's, this author is talking about the Old Testament. Many times this happened. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him, whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word after he had provided purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The story of the scriptures is the story of Jesus. And we have a, a place in that story. I am fixated. I am obsessed. I am entranced. I'm captured. I'm captivated. I'm haunted. I am preoccupied with. I'm plagued. I'm challenged. I am infatuated with, and I'm in, totally in love with Jesus. Where else would I go to find out more about him than the one place that I know that people who walked with him and heard his voice wrote those things down? Where else would I go? It's all about Jesus. We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.